0: On this week in Enterprise Tech, we have a full panel here today, our year-end episode of Twite. We have Mr. Curtis Franklin, Mr. Brian Chi, and Mr. Oliver Rist on the show today. Now, our year-end episode starts with a big discussion that takes you through the anatomy of a service outage. That's right. Plus, we get into our soapboxes here, and we give you our experiences in this area in hopes that service providers actually listen. Plus, we have a special treat. That's right. The entire team takes us through their holiday wish list and what we want to see from 2022. Plus, we might have a special guest or two to pop in as well and give... Their ideas to the list. We end the year with a big bang here on Twiet. You definitely shouldn't miss it. Twiet on the set.
1: Podcasts
0: you love
2: from people you trust.
0: This, this is Twit. This is Twiet, this week in Enterprise Tech, episode 473, recorded December 17th, 2021. Anatomy of an Outage. This episode of This Week in Enterprise Tech is brought to you by Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat that tells the epic true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels who are revolutionizing the technology landscape. Season 8 is out now. Search for Command Line Heroes on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Twilight This Week in Enterprise Tech, the show that is dedicated to you, the enterprise professional, the IT pro, and that geek who just wants to know how this world's connected. I'm your host, Louis Mureska, your guide through this big world of the enterprise. But I can't guide you by myself. I need to bring in the professionals, the experts in their field, starting at the very own Mr. Brian Cheese, Net architect at Sky Fiber, and all around tech geek. That's right, Chebert. How are you doing, my friend? What's keeping you busy?
1: I was playing with a solar pool heater today. You know, it's uh, amazing enough, Florida's getting a little chilly, at least for me, and the pool is currently unswimmable, but by using some coils of irrigation pipe, they'll soak up the sun and uh, hopefully give me another 5 to 10 degrees in the pool, and that should make it swimmable.
0: It's very cool. Now, what they call a, a solar pool here in the New England area is just, they just maintain the temperature. They don't actually heat the pool so in your case it's actually increasing the temperature
1: yeah and i'm going to be using a photovoltaic panel to run this submersible pump so it should be pretty close to zero maintenance and zero operational cool. cost very cool any one of those thanks cheaper
0: for being here well we also have to welcome back the executive editor of business at pc Maggie's, mr oliver Rist, oliver so great to have you back on the show how are you doing what's keeping you busy
2: it's keeping me busy uh building <laughs> shelves in my workshop not using any kind of solar panel just uh trying to figure out how to use my router again that's about it
0: fantastic
2: do you have a special like a
0: spaceship a, actually a workshop to do all this work or do you, you do it in your garage
2: well uh no i actually have a have a room in the in the basement and i've been blowing off turning fantastic. it into anything productive
0: Sounds good. Well, it sounds productive to me. Thanks, Oliver, for being here. I also want to welcome back the man who has both of the enterprise in IT security. He's our senior analyst at and He's also Mr. Curtis Franklin. Curtis, welcome back. How are you doing?
3: Oh, doing reasonably well, Lou. It's uh, coming down towards the end of the year. So just trying to get things prepped to roar into 2022 and take a couple of deep breaths during the holiday season.
0: I agree. Definitely take deep breaths for sure. Well, speaking about roaring into the new year, we have a great show for you. So we definitely should get started. Now, the service world, it's a complex thing. Whether you have your own infrastructure, a private cloud, or even use a service provider, there are costs and challenges lurking around every corner. We are going to discuss and take you through the anatomy of a service outage. That's right. Plus, we might just get on our soapboxes just a bit around what we hope to see from those providers out there. Definitely get to that. Plus, we have a really special treat. The entire team talks their holiday wish list and what we might want to see from 2022. And we just might have a couple special guests pop in here as well and give their ideas as well. So stick around and we'll definitely end it with a bang here on Twiet. But first, like we always do, we have to take and take you through this week's news blips. Now, zero click exploits are the dangerous ones because they find their ways to burrow through sandboxes or device services in the OS to exploit the device very easily. Now, while a recent one by the NSO group is no exception. Now, Google researchers have described NSO group's zero click exploit used to hack Apple devices as incredibly and very incredibly terrifying, yes. They called it one of the most technically sophisticated exploits they've seen, which is on par with attacks from elite nation-state spies. Well, the Project Zero team said it obtained one of NSO's Pegasus exploits from Citizen Lab, which managed to capture it via a targeted Saudi activist. It also worked with Apple's Security Engineering and Architecture group, the SEER group, on the technical analysis. Now, NSO's original exploit required the user to click on a link, but the latest, most sophisticated exploit required no click at all scary called forced entry proper name there it takes advantage of the way iMessage interprets files like gifs to open a malicious pdf file with no action required from the victim at all and it does so by using old code from the 1990s used to process text and scanner images now once inside a device the malware can set up its own virtualized environment run javascript like code which no need to connect to an outside server from there it gives an attacker access to the victim's password. Microphone, audio, and much, much more. Now, the exploit is extremely hard to detect, and it's a weapon against which there is no defense. Uh, although Apple is attacking back in the courts of this group, these types of exploits continue to scare device owners abroad. One wonders if the year 2022 will be the year of 30 third-party services on devices to ensure less backdoors.
3: Well, Microsoft is out with a warning companies must assess threats to their artificial intelligence and machine learning systems in the coming year. Last week, Microsoft's machine learning team published a framework that explains how organizations can gather information on their use of AI, analyze the current state of their security, and create ways of tracking progress. The report, called AI Security Risk Assessment, argues that companies cannot and need not create a separate process for evaluating the security of AI and ML systems, but they should incorporate AI and ML considerations into current security processes. This report is Microsoft's latest effort to tackle what it sees as a growing gap between the security and popularity of AI systems. In addition to the report, Microsoft last week updated its counterfeit tool an open-source project that aims to automate the assessment of ML system security. Now, while Microsoft has documented attacks against AI systems, such as the subversion of its chatbot, Tay, by a sustained online mob of miscreants, the company's research found the vast majority of organizations did not have a workable security process to protect their systems. Companies still, it seems, do not consider adversarial attacks on ML and AI systems a current threat. They think of them more as a future worry. In a March 2021 paper, Microsoft found only three of 28 companies interviewed had taken steps to secure their ML systems. However, many continue to worry about future attacks on ML systems, such as one financial technology firm that feared an attack could skew its machine-generated financial recommendations. Other top concerns included attack techniques for learning the details of an ML model by observing the system at work, as well as attacks that extract sensitive data from the system. The paper and automation tools are Microsoft's latest efforts to create a formal way of defining AI threats and defenses against those threats. In February, the company urged organizations to think of ways to attack their AI systems as an exercise in creating defenses. And last year, Microsoft joined with government contractor MITRE and other organizations to create a classification of attacks, the adversarial ML threat matrix.
1: Well, the folks at Dell have a new webcam concept that uses a wireless magnetic webcam and, you know, it might actually make us forget about their infamous nose cam. Well, anyway, the article is alluding to a webcam on a Dell laptop that sits at the screen hinge point, which introduced the world to all too many people's nostrils. Well, this concept packs a tiny webcam into a dockable format that can be stuck anywhere you stick a magnet. So while I love the concept of being able to stick a camera at eye level, this also means that perverts can stick them to bathroom walls and other places a webcam shouldn't go, especially since this concept uses Wi-Fi instead of Bluetooth. Well, I can think of a whole lot of good uses for an undockable Wi-Fi webcam, like keeping track of kids, keeping watch on a 3D print job, a temporary way to stick a camera over a stove to watch that big pot of soup, or one of the better proposed uses is a stand to turn it into a document camera. So I like this wishful thinking by Dell called Concept Pari, and have to imagine there will be a bunch of third-party stands and mounts to make this webcam even more flexible. Just keep it out of the bathrooms, please.
2: And this one comes from uh, PCMag sister site, Extreme Tech. (laughs) Uh, So in case you're looking to upgrade a media room and you want to use uh, HDMI 2.1, apparently that's really HDMI 2. So in theory, uh, 2.1 should be a big uh, upgrade over 2.0. has things like maximum 10K resolution of uh, 120, uh, display stream compression 1.2, uh, quick frame support, auto low latency, and that's all like just a subset. However, um, when you read a list like that, you've got a reasonable expectation that, 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 that the standards is uh, actually going to support them. But in HDMI 2.1's case, apparently it's all optional. So that gets even stickier uh since it's also it's not just an extension of hdmi it's kind of replacing hdmi2 hdmi2 has been retired so it's no longer being licensed uh, which means if a device claims to support hdmi2 uh, all the features of hdmi2 are a subset which sounds logical until you find out that they're all optional all the 2.1s are optional so any device claiming to be hdmi2 really only has to support 2.0 and you have to read the fine print to see if any 2.1 d- features are in there and they're not required to actually list those. So basically right now, if you find an HDMI 2.1 device, uh, it's highly suspect. So personally, I would look for DisplayPort 2.0 until they figure this out, uh, since apparently HDMI 2.1 is kind of just a wish list for the near term future.
0: TikTok continues to be the root and target of many articles when it comes to nefarious activity. Now, the question is, is the root of it its algorithm? Well, this article is interesting because it picks apart a New York Times article that claimed to have internal documents that uncover some of TikTok's secret recipe. In fact, Times article actually claimed that TikTok reads your mind clickbait, if you ask me. Now, the breakdown calls out the fact that there are several omissions to how TikTok operates in its algorithm. One is the lack of explanation of how or why the algorithm leads to particular consent consumption. Now, while the algorithm appears to assign scores to videos based on metrics such as user likes, comments, and times played, there's no discussion of what function the video is seeking to optimize, such as total engagement like hours spent, for example, or total spread of video content and its viral quality. Now, the article employs misleading language common in media discussions of artificial intelligence and other algorithmic techniques, ascribing things like such as mind and desire to what are merely engineering feedback loops. However, nothing about human nature is revealed in the discussion of the algorithm in question. Now, the algorithm based on the document obtained by the group appears to be very simple calculations of factors as follows. P like times V like plus P comment times V comment E play time times P V play time and P play time V play time five times fast. Now the AI firm Deep Learning AI discussed the article in the company's newsletter. Newsletter and the article suggests that the V may stand for value, meaning a weighted applied to each of the metrics in terms of their importance in some final score. Now, what this analysis shows is the A, the A, that the user's mentality or emotions is, in a sense, irrelevant because the system is not asking for volunteer ideas. Rather, the user is being asked to respond to a finite set of choices and the system gets better and better, presumably at repetitively stimulating that activity, leading to higher and higher numbers of daily active users. In some cases, the company's algorithm operates not merely to propagate things that might be popular, but also to give exposure to things that might not be as popular. Pretty interesting. Now, that surfaces the fact that TikTok isn't a mind reader, just like the retailers do today. It's trying to convince that that it is. Now, people don't exist on social media, even though they spend time, lots of time using it. Hence, no person, no mind, right? Although there is advanced machine learning and AI tech out there, there's yet to be actual tech that can read your mind. Thank goodness. One hopes TikTok doesn't figure out how to read minds in the near future. Well, folks, that does it for the blips. Next up, we have a great discussion in the bites. But before we do, we do have to thank a great sponsor of this week in Enterprise Tech. And that's Command Line Heroes, an original podcast from Red Hat. Now, Command Line Heroes tells the epic true tales of developers, programmers, hackers, geeks, and open source rebels who are revolutionizing the technology landscape. It offers a unique blend of historical context and current trends, shaping technology the tech landscape. Now, this season's tackles one question from every angle. What is a robot? A servant? A factory worker? A prosthetic? A vehicle? Why do we build robots that look like us? And we often ask whether we can trust robots, but can robots trust us? Science fiction tells us many stories about robots in the future. They will serve our every need, or maybe they'll develop a mind of their own and turn against us. Maybe they'll Be the savior of humanity or they'll be our downfall. Season 8 of Command Line Heroes covers the robots that are in our midst and the determined dreamers who bring them to life. Eight episodes compare the promise of science fiction to the reality of robots today. I had the opportunity to listen to the first episode of Robot as a Servant and it was so interesting. Here's a clip.
1: While making this season, we discovered a robot reality that's pretty removed from the robots we imagined. And yet, all those misguided ideas about what a robot should be actually shaped what robots are. And no robot fiction shaped things more than the story we told ourselves about robotic servants.
0: Super interesting episode. Now, the 1980s promised robotic servants were in reach. Remember the Jetsons? Well, if you look around, we are getting closer, but not there yet. Now, this effort was a great account for the past and the future. This award winning podcast is hosted by Saran Yidbarak and produced by Red Hat. Season eight is out now. Search for command line heroes on Apple podcasts or anywhere you listen to your podcast. We'll also include a link in the show notes. My thanks to command line heroes for their support of this week and enterprise tech. Well, folks, it's now time for the bites. Now we talk a lot about internet and service outages here on the show. We've heard it many times before. And we sometimes only really hit on the fringe of the causes of the downtime. Now, AWS has been in the news quite a lot lately. But for today's show, we we wanted to take this opportunity to go a bit deeper and talk about where things can actually go wrong. Maybe maybe where these, these services might be going wrong. Now, in fact, what layers should your organization be paying attention to when it comes to service resiliency? Maybe what you should be looking for in a service provider or what you're doing what they're doing right or wrong, or what's their SLA for you in different portions of the service. Some great questions, right? Lots of great questions. But I wanted to start with a thought first. We talked previously on previous shows that sometimes your organization depends on services that may depend on n number of other services in their end-to-end flows. Now, if you remember, when Facebook was down over six hours recently... Uh, People couldn't get their social network fix and bad politics from their angry ankles. But as an unintended consequence, some organizations couldn't log in or have customers log into their services. Why? Because Facebook login was down, too struggles definitely real for these people. Now, before we get to, too deep into service provider mishaps, I wanted to go through the foundations of what could cause a network service to actually be down. So, I want to bring my co-host back in because there's there's a lot laundry list here, uh but I want to start with the first one. Curtis, where where's the best place to start here? What's the most common causes of internet service issues uh, like for people um you know feeling like the the internet's just
3: down? Well, uh, if they feel like the internet is just down, the first place to look is a network itself. Uh, And there you have to go to everyone's uh, favorite scapegoat, BGP. I mean, whenever I hear that someone's broad service has gone down, whether it's AWS or Google or someone else, uh, my first instinct is to wait for someone doing something Uh, mistaken to uh, BGP. Uh, Why? Well, because it's critical. um, And getting it right is something of uh, an art as much as a science. So it's an easy thing to uh, fumble finger, and the consequences of getting it wrong can be truly catastrophic um after that the word that you want to look for is update you know there's a reason why until the last couple of years there were a lot of organizations that would only update things like their core routers once or at most twice a year regardless of how many security updates came out in the meantime why because they need to sandbox those, they needed to test the updates, they needed to make sure that they were right before they put them in the field. And putting them in the field usually meant taking down the network for at least a short period of time. Uh, With the increased pace and rate of updates, uh, companies are finding that it's more difficult to do that, and they are considered less responsible if they hold on to critical updates for months before putting them in the field. As a result, it's easy to do an update that ends up, well, crashing the system. Uh, And if you have millions and millions of users, well, the odds are good that someone is going to notice when that happens.
0: Now, BGP is an interesting one here. Obviously, uh, Facebook recently was down because they actually stopped broadcasting. Uh, their routers stopped broadcasting to BGP, which made it seem like their endpoints were down. So that's definitely a large culprit out there quite often. Now, Chibert, I want to throw this to you because BGP is not only the likely suspect here sometimes. What are some of the other ones that that could be part of that list as well?
1: Well, taking my experience you know, working at, for the federal government and also all those years I did interrupt. I actually find that DNS being down or be, DNS misbehaving is very common. So I always tell my, whenever I sat on a tech support line and someone says, the internet's down, internet's down, I said, just do me a favor. Type in ping 8.8.8.8. And that'll tell you whether or not you can ping the world. Now, the problem is... Not everybody, not everybody allows ping out of their network, but work with your IT people. Make sure you can still ping something. Because if you can ping an IP address, there's a really, really good chance that so-called internet being down is DNS isn't responding. Because DNS translates a name like www.twit.tv into an actual IP address because you can't talk to a name. You can only talk to an uh, a number, an IP address, whether it's IPv4 or IPv6. Well, the number one thing that causes large outages in the case of DNS is the whole bit about DNSSEC, the so-called encrypted DNS update mechanism. And DNS is one of those things where it's, it's one of the original um, protocols of the internet, and it was built in the days of trust. It was a kinder, gentler internet in those days. And DNS was fine for that type of environment. But sadly, the number of attacks that can be done through DNS is now staggering. And so when DNS goes away, it looks like the internet's died, but maybe it's not. So something to check in, something to take a look at, and people... If you're running a corporation and you're not running DNSSEC on your DNS server, shame, shame, shame. You should be. It's not expensive. It's not that hard to do, especially if you work with some of the DNS appliances like the ones from Infoblox. Um, But you should be running DNSSEC, especially in this day and age.
0: So th- you bring up two very good protocols here, obviously they're, they're, they are culprits in in the majority list of some of these servers being down. Um, Oliver, I want to bring you in because obviously, even though these are culprits where they, they're, they're open to configuration problems, they're open to you know network related issues, but there's another thing that could potentially apply to not only networks in general, like Curtis pointed out, but also these protocols, right? Is it maybe attacks?
2: Yeah, um, I got to riff this a little bit. So we just, as a coincidence, there was a nice exec from Cloudflare who wrote a guest post for one of our custom pub uh, outlets. And he was talking about exactly this. How do you fight uh, a big outage? And his point was, it's all about resiliency. All All the combat techniques here are in one way or another about failover and the question isn't whether or not you have failover it's how you fail over and that's the hard part how do you predict right. how your systems are supposed to fail over uh and he of course recommended that you have a staff but the problem is you have to a find all the vulnerabilities so not just technical but also security figure out what to put in place and then figure out how it's supposed to react and then figure out how to make that work which is just an exponential issue so i want to kick that back to you because you're the smart engineering, software engineering manager, aren't we at a stage where at this point somebody could design a series of smart ML algorithms that could actually make a dent in that, at least at an organization level, like just not the internet. I, I get that. But if there was an enterprise with enough deep pockets, isn't, aren't we at a point where somebody could make that a project? I think so. I think, you know, there
0: are services out there that do, you know, they do somewhat of a set of smoke tests or whatnot to try to verify the validity of your pipeline. So for instance, if DNS goes down, do you have an alternative? Do you have a way to, to, to use a different DNS provider? Um, or are you enabling things like security? Um, another thing, uh, for instance, for instance, if I tried to like, some of the things that take down services, um, could be like bad deployment practices. I deploy bad code to the wild. Well, there's, there's services for those types of things, uh, that will, you know, allow you to stage your deployment, um, and then have the kind of safe deployment practice where you're, you're staging and flighting your deployment. So even though you're staged at only like 5%, you're flighting it out. Um, something goes wrong. You can re-roll it back and things go better. Um, and so there's that kind of soft, software services deployment, but there's also the network layer as well. And I think there, are, I definitely think there's definitely improvement in the infrastructure side of, of verifying things like that. Because we saw AWS recently go down because of, mm-hmm. uh you know, a propagation of configuration uh, issues, things that, you know, propagated to different parts of their infrastructure, causing additional traffic to their infrastructure, which then called additional load, which then took down the rest of their infrastructure. So I think there, there is definitely cause in, uh, for additional services that can help that out. Um, you know, one of the things that I I want to see more of, especially in 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 cloud service providers, is the ability to have more redundancy. Like you were saying, resiliency comes down to also somewhat redundancy as well. So if you have if you're dependent on a single cloud provider, if you're locked in to a cloud provider, they go down. AWS. Um, then it could mean that you're down for however long they're down for. Uh, But if you were to have, let's say, a gateway that says, Hey, like my API is no longer responding for my front end from this particular service provider. Maybe I can now use this particular service provider. Um, uh, then you have con- resiliency built into it, and a lot of a lot of organizations can definitely benefit from this um, cough retailers during the holiday season um, so I think that there's there 's a lot to learn from what we see when when organizations fail uh, and when they do when they are down and making it public of what actually happened does help all of us I think um, and like you said, it will help uh, development companies and and even startups figure out better ways to do this. Uh, using things like ML and artificial intelligence. But I I, I, I kind of think that, you know, there's there's just so many things that could go wrong. You're going to need multiple services to do this. But I I, I I haven't seen too much of it yet, Arnold. I, I, w- I hope to see more, actually. So that should have been one of my Christmas wish lists. I think so. I think so. I think so. So I think we, we covered quite, you know, obviously the basis of a, of a lot of these. And I, I talked a little about just the kind of the software side of things where, you know, sometimes you can deploy and you have problems deploying, deploying, uh, you know, and people run into these issues. But I wanted to open this up. Does anybody else have another kind of, maybe baseline thing that can go wrong here when it comes to maybe just a configuration thing? Is it a, is it a networking thing? What's, what's one of those common things that can go wrong out there when it comes to uh, uh downtime for networks and services?
3: Well, I'm, I'm going to say that one of them is breaking away from an established process and often, breaking away from using the technology that you've put in place to enact those policies. Um, it is very easy, and there are a number of products out there that are designed to handle intelligently upgrading and updating systems. They go out, they find uh, the updates that accompany various CVSS or uh, uh, CVCC Uh, um, uh, vulnerabilities, they gather them, they vet them, they go ahead and in many cases will automate the process of deploying them while you can in almost all cases say that you want to sandbox those updates before they're put in the field. Where companies get in trouble is where they have either an employee or, in too many cases, a contractor who comes in and says, this is either such a trivial update or such a critical update that it's worth breaking through those processes to manually put it in the field. That is where you really run into problems. And I would say that's the sort of thing that should never be done in any case except by large technical and management committee that can look at the consequences of not doing the update, what the update entails, and the consequences of an update failure make the business decision and have everyone waiting in case things go wrong. No one likes this sort of thing as a surprise. And what we're seeing in too many cases is where even large, technically sophisticated organizations are being surprised when something runs off the rails.
0: I agree. Actually, I've, i worked uh, with, uh, with a financial institution uh, recently, and they're very technically advanced. Um, they have the security built in. Uh, and they, they do. They have this ability to, when it comes to updates, they just don't run to try to update things. They, they look into seeing what the update fixes. Is it a, is it a security update? Is it a functional update? Um, is it a performance thing? Um, they see what uh, binaries and what components does it actually update when the update goes through. They do this in a in a testing environment. Um, they verify if settings were changed, if things have been altered in any way. So they, they do a lot. They, they don't follow the normal just blast updates across the system, which I really do I think is great. Um, so they're still following the practices of updating. But they put in the extra cycles to verify these things. And then they put it in a UAT environment. They bring real users on board um, and, and see how it impacts them. Uh, and I think by doing this, again, there's, there's a short timeline that goes along with all of this, but it allows them to verify th- these things in stages um, and make sure that it doesn't cause business impact. And I think that's a very important thing when it comes, especially in, in today's age when we do a lot of remote. I did want to uh, throw it back out to, to the rest of the crew here. Is there is there maybe anything else that we wanted to cover when it comes to service down situations?
1: Well, I want to go and make a suggestion. And one of the things that we did for the Interop trade show is the web presence for the Interop show itself would start off Being in a co-location center, usually in Denver, sometimes in San Jose, doesn't matter. And at one point, we were using um, Coyote Point global load balances. We had those scattered in San Jose, Denver, and Newark. And what it would do would be allow us to send you to the closest data center so that we could load balance, traditional. One of the things we also did was during the show, we would actually trigger uh, VMware so that it would shift the servers onto the show floor and then spawn additional VMs to handle the load. And then when the show was winding down, we'd hit a trigger and migrate them back. I keep wondering why we aren't seeing more of this. When the East Coast AWS went down, why weren't we able to trigger a migration to say, even though you have to go across the country, send it to the Western um, AWS servers. This is what makes me go, hmm, what happened? You know, things do exist, you are able to load balance. I'm just not sure why, you know, what happened that would cause load balancing to fail. You know, maybe it was a backhoe fade, you know, the infamous backhoe fade. I think I even have a picture of a amazing backhoe fade that someone did when they were um, putting some poles in. Things happen, and, you know, why can't we have more load balancing is my big question. Anyway, I'm going to throw that back to you guys because I think that should be happening, and I don't see a lot of it yet. Oh, and there's the backhoe fade. Ooh. Ah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, load balancing is important. I think, um, you know, we we saw, we talked just recently with um, API management group that allows for, um, you know, load balancing when it comes to, you know, API services, right? So they, they're instituting ways to ensure traffic has the, the least resistance, the lowest latency. Uh, and this goes with not only adding more resilience to your service, but also ensuring... user has the best experience i think this kind of applies across the board
3: what do you guys think i'll go with that i would say no no argument there you go do this is this is why violent agreement seldom makes for the most compelling chat shows (laughs) <laughs> that's
0: right. Indeed. I was hoping that someone would be like, "No, that's not what it is." But yeah, I do agree that this is it's one of those challenges a lot of organizations continue to have. Um, you know, we saw, we saw, we continue to see, you know, obviously we like to poke fun a little bit at AWS because, you know, they, they are, you know, one of the biggest cloud service providers out there. They are the biggest, uh, and they continue to, to host a lot of different services out there. But that just goes to show you that even the big ones are not, uh, in, they're not, uh, bulletproof to even some of the most common, uh, issues that are out there today. And again, we, I definitely feel like we can continue to learn from these services going forward. Well, that does it for that bite. Now, now, next up, I think we definitely have a special treat. And I think it's going to definitely be a fun thing. We, we do this from time to time. And this year, we felt that we wanted to end the year in a bang and talk about our wish list, whether it's for enterprise tech or technology in general, and what we really want to go through and what we really want to see from the market uh, uh, in the coming year. And so I want to start with uh, Cheebert and go with your idea. What, 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 what's on your wish list for the coming year?
1: My wish, actually, I pull from the movie Red Planet with Val Kilmer. Love that movie. And the concept is it's a scroll tablet. And what I really want is you have a little tube and you pull out the screen so that you can have a variable size screen and in the case of what they had in the movie, it was actually transparent enough so that Val Kilmer could compare images to uh, satellite images to the real world so that he could figure out where the heck he was. Because they cra- the story is they crash landed and off off target and they had to walk to find the habitat. Kind of a cool concept. Well, we're not that far away. I already have personally a solar panel that rolls up and they actually are printing the solar panel onto Mylar. Well, there are now televisions that are printed onto a flexible um, substrata. And so, gee, wouldn't it be cool if I could open it up and then maybe have some inflatable stiffener tubes so that I could, Touch it, or maybe I had my Google AR glasses or my whoever's AR glasses, so that I the buttons would actually float off the screen, and I could just go and tap, 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 and use that. Because I'm a huge, huge tablet user. I, I actually use my tablet way more than I use a desktop or a laptop. And um, I'd really love to have a variable size screen. I don't like folding screens. You know, I'm sorry. You know, those always feel like I'm going to break them, but it'd be really cool if I could just, you know, unroll a bigger screen, maybe have it magnetic or something. I could stick it onto the back of an airline seat or maybe a train seat or something and be able to go and do quite a bit of work. Maybe with a uh, laser to type a keyboard on the, on the um, drink tray or something. You know, anyway, the idea was, gee, how cool would it be? And when is it going to be out of Hollywood and into the stores?
0: I love that. I love that. I think I actually, you know, I was just posting some links in the back channel here around the Samsung technology. We all know that Samsung has flexible display technology. They're using it in their phones. They're not using it in their, potentially in their watch coming, going forward. Uh, And they have the ability to do these kind of flexible roll screens. Now, the key here is, the material, I think, is the problem. It's not necessarily the, the technology, but the material of getting it right, making sure that it can withstand the amount of flexes that a person has over the lifetime of the device. So I think I, I think it's I, I kind of think that you're, you're you're right. Like there's definitely going to be more of these as they come forward, especially in the OLED sense. So I'm actually excited to see that. Uh, I really enjoy uh, seeing that in the movies. Fantastic. Cheaper, thanks. So let's go to uh, Kurt next. What's what's on your wish list, Kurt?
3: Well, I think my wish list is one that, that we're getting close to. Um, voice recognition and voice response are both getting better. I mean, I remember when they were in their early state, and they really are just miles and miles ahead of where they were a decade ago. But I'd I really like to see them take the next step. You know, one of the things that would be wonderful— is if more people could do things like dictate memos, notes, even lists to their smart device and have it show up on all their devices. Now, the synchronizing devices, I I won't say it's a completely solved problem, but that's a mostly solved problem. What we lack is the sophistication in the, the voice recognition for our various voice assistants and voice ecosystems. I'd like to see that improve. Um, we are tantalizingly close. As a matter of fact, in my experience, they're just good enough to be really, truly frustrating when they don't work the way you want them to. Uh, so I'd like to see that take a step forward. I'd also, to be honest, like to see um, more ubiquitous 5G and truly high speed uh, internet access for more people. You know, this is something that the current administration has said is a priority. Um, it's something that we need uh, for all kinds of reasons, ranging from uh, the education of our young people to increased business opportunities for small businesses around the country to being able to be productive no matter where you find yourself. Um, And that's something that I think is, is going to be moving forward. You know, in my business lifetime, we have gone from business being something that had to happen at a particular place and generally in a particular time to something that could happen in multiple places say your office and a client's office and maybe at your home to some to to something that can happen almost literally anywhere and i'd like to see if we can reduce that almost component as much as possible. I think that being able to do that, do it with good performance and with great security would go a long way towards lifting a lot of people out of the reduced employment where they find themselves and into a a better personal and economic situation. That's a
0: great one, Curtis. Thank you. All right. So next up,
2: Oliver. (laughs) You sound scared. I have three. Not scared at (laughs) all. I'm actually looking forward to it. I have three wishes. Uh, All right. One, I would love if I could get a personal assistant based on Chiebert's personality. I think that would be awesome. It would give me a headache, but I would still love to have one. Two, I really wish that poor guy who's walking across junkyards, I think in England, looking for his lost $350 million Bitcoin cold wallet. I hope he finds it because I'm tired of getting those those pitches from uh, writers. Uh, My last one is being in the press. uh, We get bombarded lately. I'm getting bombarded with metaverse. It's all metaverse all the time. Uh, What's it going to look like? How are you going to do business on it? Uh, it's snow crash. We're all going to live in one. You can be a loser in real life in and a winner in in the metaverse. All that stuff. I would. I wish somebody looking at that less as a binary and more as a unified, like a cross metaverse to meet space bridge. And I know there are some AR type technologies that'll make that work, but I mean something really tangible. Like if I'm touching something in in the metaverse. Uh, a corresponding physical action actually takes place somewhere. So, whether that's with robotics or you know mythical nanobots or whatever, I just want—I'm I'm not asking for it this minute. I know that's not possible right now, but I would love it. I would love to hear uh, that somebody's actually thinking about it and working on it. That would be awesome. That
0: would be awesome. Very cool. Very cool. I agree with the metaverse comment. Uh, What do you guys think about the metaverse side of things here? Are we going to see any additional uh, innovation that's outside the Facebook realm uh, from the metaverse side of things?
3: I I think that what we're going to see is more of what Microsoft likes to call mixed reality, um, where you have some augmented reality. I think augmented reality is something that is going to happen a lot where in the same way that we know that in an automobile, a heads-up display is a fine thing, I think that we will have the capability to put what amount to heads-up displays um, in front of people. Now, the question will be whether those can be done in a way that you know doesn't almost literally have the word dork inscribed on the band above the um, the display screen, uh, that may be a, a far larger challenge than anything technical happening. Um, but I think that we will get that. What I don't see a, a huge market for is the second coming of Second Life. Um, I took part in a an event uh, about a week ago um, for the Nation of Makers. Uh, where a, a Maker fair out of Washington, D.C., took place in what amounted to the metaverse. And it really was very similar to, to Second Life with the addition of when two avatars met, uh, the screen, a, a little pop-up would happen with the camera and microphone screen for the actual human beings behind them. Um, there may be situations where that's a wonderful thing, but I, in my opinion, those situations are going to be very limited. So I think that um, mixed reality, that's coming. Uh, and I think we're going to see some really cool ways to use that to do things like deal with highly complex data sets uh, where you can literally, well, where you can in the metaverse Walk through a data set and do visual 3D analysis. Um, to me, that sort of thing is exciting. Um, having to come up with the 30 second iteration of my avatar in order to have a business meeting um, is much less exciting. <laughs>
0: Indeed, indeed. I, you know, augmented reality and just the applications—we've seen it in cars. Right? Like they're starting to advance the heads-up display capability in cars today. And I, in fact, I, I've seen—you um, know—some actually display tons of data on them now, um, and, and some of them actually instituting computer vision capability. <laughs> Uh, to to better the situations, like for pointing out uh, things in the road, or uh, pointing out uh, issues ahead, or rerouting your your vehicle, um, you know, being part of the um, you know the self driving capability. So I think there, you know, that obviously doesn't require you to wear anything because built into the vehicle. Um, but in the same sense, I feel like there should be a way for for them to do that uh, in other applications as well, not just in vehicles. And I, I do think it'll definitely help. Um, organizations move forward with some of the complex scenarios of are doing. And I think you're right. Even in the services side of things, uh, in the manufacturing side of things, it can definitely help. I, in fact, I saw an application recently of... Um, I can't remember what company it was, but they actually um, were had less downtime because they were able to train... Uh, their, their repair people, uh, by using augmented reality as they walk through the, the warehouse and, and through the, the, manufacturing plants to fix things by sh- actually having somebody remote walk them through the repairs. Um, and so I, th- I think these types of applications are going to be more prominent than the consumerization of them. So I definitely agree, Kurt. There's, there's definitely going to be more of that. And Oliver of this, uh, going forward for sure, hopefully, um, separate from the, uh, from the meta universe. Okay, um, before we get into more conversation I want to go through my wish list, and I, 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 I have I'm only one, and it's kind of a little bit of an elaborate one. It's more based on the consumer side and the enterprise side of things. Um, you know, I worked many times in the services and sales side of organizations before I got in engineering, and so I have uh, a lot of empathy for these people. Um, and it, now you, you might during the holidays, many people have. Uh, been interacting with CRM systems in the past, whether it's sales or services side. Now, you might call somebody or call a call rep or customer service agent on the phone. Um, but it can be a chore. right? Sometimes it's a combination of bots or human interaction. It's very disjointed. It's stressful for the customer. It's stressful for the rep. It's sometimes a waste of time. Um, you, sometimes you have to fumble with your device to convey or ask uh, to, to maybe ask an issue or, uh, or ask about an issue. Um, you, you have maybe waste your time explaining your issue over and over again to different reps. You wait on hold. Um, you know Something that you shouldn't have to do, especially now that landlines are kind of gone, right? It's kind of a thing of the past. Um, you should really have a direct line of sight to the solution uh, provided for both sales and the service side. You should provide a really l- a low impedance in the pipeline for customers. Uh, and the question is, what can we do? What can do that? Well, think about this. Even if the CRM systems are... Uh, Pulling up customer information, the rep actually has to internalize the information about the customer. They have to rationalize the response. They have to interpret the state of mind of the customer. They have to scramble to solve the issue and they have to also be um, uh, friendly. Right. And I think. There's there's gotta be a solution for this. And I think that, you know, like uh, Oliver said, there's there's some advanced data capabilities and use of machine learning and artificial intelligence here that's been that could help, not in just in the bot sense. Now what if the, the rep had a better way to surface the data to start with before they actually interacted with the customer? The customer calls in, they wait on a small hold time, and the data surfaced, you know, things that they've looked at maybe on their on the retail side, things that they previously bought. Uh, services they bought, issues they previously had, um, stuff like that, in order to essentially be able to bring up data that might help them as part of the call. Um, I, I think you know it could also help them virtually be coached better on what to say to ensure the whole process is short, simple, personable. It's focused on the person and the problem rather than uh, you know having to continue to repeat yourself. Um, and even if they have to be transferred, there's this connection of, of, of work processes there. Sound too good to be true? Well, the data is definitely there. I, I think it's there. Uh, in fact, um, we've seen CRM systems have knowledge based systems, um, but they really should be, offline-able. They should be the cap. They should not have the excuse of, hey, like, my system is being slow, right? Or I'm, I'm going to put you on a brief hold to wait for this. It should be available and they're ready for them. And, and again, by doing these advanced look-ahead capabilities, um, being able to download this data, even if they didn't have service or connectivity, they'd be able to solve your problem. Um, I don't like to be at the mercy of these systems sometimes. Now, they can also use data analytics here. Um, they can surface high-hitting topics of surrounding the customer's interactions. Um, They can surface data about how-tos and walkthroughs at their fingertips. They don't have to worry about network latency in order to do that. Um, And they can also have keyword isolation as part of the conversation. They can do semantic searches and possibly use today's graph APIs to help surface topics for customers and their solutions uh, and make it more personable. Um, not having to have customers repeat what they want to say over and over again, uh, provide coaching for communication styles uh, and, and for, for different levels of customers. So I, de- I definitely think that there's a way to improve this. I just don't understand why there's organizations that are not doing it. And again, you know, we have organizations, I won't name the big ones that are out there, but they have AI capabilities at their fingertips and they have the data you know, pr- providing more support for their front door uh, interactions with customers would help amplify. Because you never know. You might have that mystical whale of a customer that you've been waiting for. They have no idea that they exist. They could be a first-time customer. But they have a large network of people attached to them and a large corporation attached to them. And you want to make sure their experience is thoughtful, knowledgeable, and timely. And you want to make sure it has success. And the only way to do that is to use the data you have and to use the services that you have. So I really hope that it's time for uh, I'm hoping to see organizations and services catch up here, especially in this space. What do you guys think? Is this, is this
2: a dream or not? <laughs> well, actually, uh, I just talked to somebody about this that, that very thing. Uh, was a Salesforce customer, and I can't say who, but they're all proud because they're one of the few that actually did that on the data side. So they used the whole Salesforce stack. They hit all the touch points, marketing, help desk, sale. They had it all. And then they showed me how it was surfaced, and it was just this massive amount of text data, basically, with a bunch of graphs that are, you know, if you have to parse that in the in the in the speed of the moment, uh, which a help desk person would, I mean, a salesperson wouldn't, a marketing person might have to, a, a help desk person would definitely have to. There's no. It needs a smarter UI. It has to like, that's what you want to aim the AI at is being able to, cert, you know, figure out what the query is going to be about or what it, it is about. And then surfacing, winnowing down all that data into something that a guy can parse in a couple of minutes so he can have a good conversation. Right. If I was the help desk guy looking at that screen, I'm like, well, you know, thanks. That's going to take me 45 minutes to figure out what you're talking about. By then, the customer hung up. So they're going to ignore it and just do what they always do. Right.
0: I think it's connectivity of, of systems too like a lot of times these are customers have called in more than one time and they've been transferred and to be able to have uh connected these solutions these, you know there's being able to provide the historical context at it just you know on the screen to the person who's picking up the call you know back in the day when I worked in support, they used to have you know these physical VoIP systems hooked up to this the technical support system that we had in front of us is so when they called in the the previous call and case would come up immediately I wouldn't have to do anything uh, and it would you know provide me with the state of mind of the customer whether they were you know frustrated before or they or they continue to call in or how many times they've called in from that number and I would be able to immediately be able to interpret that uh, and provide somewhat of, of, of you know, help helpfulness for them. I, I feel like that should also be integrated with a lot of the other data out there. And I do agree, like if you have an entire stack, that should be supported. But I almost think that, you know, if even if you didn't have that entire stack, there should be some way for them to, to help uh, make this experience better.
2: I have seen that, by um, the, the way. Like-
3: Sorry, I I was gonna say one of the things that I'd like to to see as an improvement in terms of making the experience better, a lot of organizations are using systems where in order to finally give someone an answer, give someone a useful response, the customer has to essentially diagnose their own problem. You walk through a 73 step uh, tree Where, you know, are you calling about this, that? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? By the time you get through with just the qualifying questions, you've spent 27 minutes on the phone. Your blood pressure has risen by 46 points. And you would really like to just, you know, scrap the entire system that you bought and try something else. So to me, having... A system that allows more useful responses with less self-diagnosis from the customer would be a major step forward in improving the user interface for virtually all of these systems.
0: Yeah, actually, I have a good point. That's a good point. Actually, I have an ex- uh, a little anecdote that goes along with that. I just recently was purchasing Apple devices. Um, and I was purchasing a lot of Apple devices, a very expensive set of Apple devices. Uh, and the account had a credit on it, a $50 credit. Uh, so I went to purchase devices in the thousands of dollars and I went to go and apply the credit, applied the credit, hit go, hit submit. And um, they said, "Oh, we'll ship it. We'll get it to you by the next day." I was very excited because it was going to be in time for the meetings. Uh, then the card got denied, and I thought, well, "Okay, well, this is a very large purchase. Maybe they're, you know, preventing me from denying it." Said it actually gave me a. 404 error or whatnot. And, and I thought it might be, have been their services layer or whatever. Uh, so I had to start diagnosing. I said, okay, is it a service problem? Is it maybe my credit card? Is it is it them blocking the credit card? So I, And then I tried calling Apple and they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, it looks like your credit card was denied. And so I check with the credit card company. I'm like, why is it denied? So I, again, we, we went back and forth only to find out that the credit that they had put on my account was already used and that was just hadn't like gone off the account yet and so because I had used it again their back end was blocking it and so we spent several hours of trying to figure this out and finally I was just like you know what forget it went and bought a bunch of other devices that weren't apple uh, and so they lost out on thousands of dollars. Now granted, I don't know if they're losing out on anything. But in the same sense, they lost out on $1,000 because I didn't want to have to deal with and help them diagnose the problem when in fact, it was their problem. Uh, so I, I definitely feel like if I've had to go through that, I'm sure that Tons of other customers have gone through that, Um, and I'm sure that they've spent plenty of times on the phone or in a chat session this holiday season trying to diagnose their problems for other organizations. I I don't know how we got here. It used to be more about customers and less about uh, leaning on the customer to help the solutions. But this seems to be how organizations are scaling nowadays. I don't know where we go from there. (laughs) Right. Well, this is a good list. Um, did anybody else want to add? I know that we had potentially a, hey, this is the wish list of like devices or whatnot. I do want to maybe bring it out and uh, broaden it to maybe some other people in maybe the studio. You guys have some ideas on uh, on wish lists or things you'd like to see?
4: Oh, you mean me?
0: Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, Mr.
4: you. <laughs> of course. Well, thanks for having me on the show. And... I gotta tell you, I'm listening to you guys chat about your list, and I started taking notes because it, it, some of it was striking striking a nerve with me. Um, so I'll try to be brief with my list. Uh, mainly, you've heard of the A10 Mini and the A10 Mini Extreme, and you know those video switches from Blackmagic. I would love to have something like the A10 Mini at Stream, but have it have more of a um, a, a universal or open firmware because right now you can do a lot in as far as video switching and color correction and, and recording and whatnot but sometimes you want to be able to control different parts of the camera and if you don't have a black magic camera you can't necessarily handle those controls through the atem software and i'm thinking it would be nice if maybe something was open source that would say hey regardless of the camera that you have connected to this you can still control the shutter and the iris and things of that nature but i don't know if that's possible because of Ooh, you know, what a concept a standard right you you're know, asking for a standard Ooh. but <laughs> i doubt we will see it um but yeah that was on my brain now on to my rebuttals <laughs> starting with mr chi uh, regarding the screens I agree. Uh, the foldable screens, I, I thought those were a bit of a, <laughs> why in the heck is this, this stuff happening? But totally makes sense now, especially seeing them as the, the televisions that come up out of the floor and things like that. I don't know about, as far as a tablet, you can keep that. Uh, as <laughs> far, <laughs> far as Mr. Kurt, shout out to you because... Unlike me, you were thinking selflessly. I was totally selfish in my wish list here. <laughs> but you said 5G for everyone. Quite frankly, sir, I would be happy with 4G accessible for everybody. Um, it, it's, it's really hard when you go out and about and signals just dropping in these rural areas to, to edge. They would be happy if they had 4G. You know, They don't necessarily need 5G. Um, Then the voice assistants that's talking about A.I., that strikes a nerve with me because A.I. is only going to be as good as those who train it. And if you watch our show This Week in Google on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific-ish, we have talked about A.I. uh, pretty extensively because of a lot of the social implications with it. It's great for certain things, but every now and then it just totally screws up. And it's because it just doesn't know. It hasn't been trained. If you want to have a voice assistant that's going to be able to work with my voice, have somebody that's got a voice like mine to train it. I'm a black Southern dude that speaks really, really slowly with the Southern drawl. And I'm sure it's struggling with it, with my stuff. So have somebody train it up. Uh, Metaverse. I would be fine with Metaverse if it was more like D-Space as discussed in Demon by uh, Daniel Suarez, people wearing the glasses uh, that just looks like regular sports glasses, but it's more of a mixed reality, as you all mentioned previously. And lastly, Mr. Lou, your CRM. God, I hate CRMs, but boy, they're useful. And I think it would be great if we could take the power of data management, say like what Amazon has been doing to figure out. How long people are working, how fast these packages are getting to this point, to that point, so on and so forth. Be able to take that same process and power to make it even better for the people working in the support team and so they can make it better for the uh, customers on the other side of the phone. Because it is a pain in the butt to be able to call in and you have to answer 50 questions and usually... 50 of those questions are almost related to the same daggum answer, and it's just quite annoying. So, yeah. Uh, And lastly, somebody named Burke here at the studio. He's feeling quite good today, and he wanted to show it off. Let me show it to you on the screen. Got himself, (laughs) finally got himself a phone. I believe this is the Pixel 6. I told him he's a little late because uh, the Pixel 7 has already been announced, so he can just go ahead and send that one back.
0: Okay. <laughs> back to y'all. Thanks for having me. You know what, though? That's a, that's a step beyond a lot, of the, a lot of the previous devices, so I give, I give hats off to Burke. Enjoy your device, Burke, and enjoy your, uh, your early Christmas there for sure. Well, I think we had a great list here. Time's flying by. I think we're run out of time. We've had an amazing list of things here, guys. Great stuff. Uh, Unfortunately, all good things come to an end. We've had an amazing year here on Twyett. And we definitely look forward to 2022 for sure. I do want to thank everyone who makes this show possible. It's definitely a team effort. We have the best team in the market here. The co-hosts starting with our very own Mr. Brian Chibert. What's going on for you in the coming weeks? And where can people find you and get in touch with you?
1: I'm I'm still playing with that uh, load balancer. So I can load balance across multiple... um, cellular connections. I have finally had a good breakthrough on how to manage the sharing, even though it's going over a VPN. And uh, who knows, maybe by the time we have the new episode in the new year, I will have something to show off. Anyway. Y'all have been great throwing ideas at us and comments and so forth. And I'm still advnetlab, Advanced Net Lab on Twitter. I'm also Cheebert, spelled C-H-E-E-B-E-R-T, at twit.tv. Or, better yet, if you send it to twite at twit.tv, it hits all the hosts. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your show ideas. And if you have questions on what we're thinking about some of these lists or whatever yeah, hit us thanks a lot happy holidays everybody
0: you too as well Beer. you too as well. well we also have to thank our very own mr curtis franklin curtis what's going on for you in the coming weeks and where can people find you and all your work
3: well as always people can find me at kg4gwa on twitter i'm going to be doing some writing i'm launching into a huge research project that will Uh, take up a fair chunk of the first part of the 2022 for me. I'm going to be uh, doing research on cybersecurity awareness training, and that's going to be interesting. But I'm also getting ready to go to an actual in-person live event, uh, RSA 2022, scheduled for early February in San Francisco right now. I am planning to be there, and if any of uh, members of the Twilight Riot are going to be there, please drop me a note. Would love to uh, have a chance to meet up um, in some place besides the metaverse.
0: Indeed, indeed. Thank you. Appreciate it. Curtis, happy holidays. Well, we also have to thank Mr. Oliver Riss. Oliver, what's going on for you in the coming weeks, and where can people find you and all your work?
2: Uh, What are we doing? We are putting the finishing touches on our hosted endpoint protection roundup. That'll be out shortly. Uh, But the really exciting thing, exciting uh, uh, long term thing that we have going is it's PC Mag's 40th anniversary next year. Uh, We're probably going to be doing something uh, every month, maybe even more uh, for the whole year. And we're trying to figure exactly what those kind of features would look like. Um, what kind of features people want to read. So uh, I think my Twitter handle's up there. Um, but a better way to reach me would be uh, oliver.wrist at uh, ziffmedia.com. So if you have any ideas of uh, the kind of things you'd like to see, celebrate 40 years of PC Mag. you hit me up there.
0: Fantastic. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you guys for a great year, and I, I look forward to a uh, to new year of uh, TWIT. Well, I also have to thank... You as well. You're the person who drops in each and every week to get get your enterprise goodness. We want to make it sure we make it easy for you to listen and catch up on your enterprise and IT news. So go to our show page right now, twit.tv slash There you'll find all the amazing back episodes, the show notes, the co-host information the guest information. And of course, links of the stories that we do during the show, but more importantly, next to those videos, you'll get those helpful subscribe and download links, support the show by getting your audio version, your video version of your choice and listen on any one of your, those devices that you have out there or any one of your podcast applications, because we're on all of them. And the best way to support the show is to definitely subscribe. Plus, you may have heard also heard we have Club Twit. That's right. It's a great club. It's a members-only ad-free podcast service with a bonus Twit Plus feed that you can't get anywhere else. It's only $7 a month. And in fact, one of my favorite things that comes along with it is that members-only Discord channel, exclusive members-only Discord channel. It's got a great set of characters and great set of channels in there. We always have some awesome discussions. Um, they are uh, animated GIF experts in there. I love it. Um, so really interesting topic. So definitely join the Club Twit and be part of that movement. Go to twit.tv slash Club Twit. Now, Club Twit also offers corporate group plans as well. That's right. You want to give a gift during the holiday season to your corporate group, it's corporate group plans. It's a great way to give your team access to our ad-free tech podcast. The Plans start with five members at a discounted rate of $6 each per month, and you can add as many seats as you like. And this is a great way for you, whether it's your IT department, developers, tech teams, to stay up to date with and access to all of our podcasts. And it's just like the regular membership because you can not only join the Twit Discord server, but you also get that Twit Plus bonus feed as well. So join it, twit.tv slash Club. Twit. Now after you subscribe, you definitely want to impress your friends, your family members and your coworkers. Give the gift of Twit for the holiday season because we talk about a lot of fun tech topics on the show. In fact, I think our predictions are quite right this time around. So I think they would find them interesting as well. So definitely give them the gift of Twit cuz They'll also subscribe and find it interesting as well. Now, if you've already subscribed and you're available on Friday, 1.30 p.m. Pacific times, we do the show live. That's where you can check it out, live.twit.tv. We do it live every week. Come see how the pizzas made, the behind the scenes, all the banter that we do, all the fun stuff that we do before and after the show. Definitely come check out the live stream. And of course, you also have to get a part of the live stream. You can also join our IRC.twit.tv IRC channel that's out there. All the great characters. In fact, we have a ton of them in there today. Fantastic to see everybody in our year-end episode here before the best of show that's coming up. I'd love to see everybody in there. We have some great tech topics, questions, comments. They keep us laughing. So definitely join the great state of characters in there at irc.twit.tv. Now, definitely hit me up as well during the holiday season or even after at twitter.com slash LUMM. Direct message me, whatever you want. I would love to hear your show ideas. I'd love to talk about enterprise tech bits consumer tech bits. Whatever you want to talk about, I'd love to talk about it. So definitely hit me up there um, and uh, let's have a great conversation over there. But if you want to see what I do normally, d- during my normal work weeks at Microsoft, definitely check out developers.microsoft.com slash office. There we host the latest and greatest ways for you to customize your office experience and make it more productive for you. You definitely check out Office scripts out there where you can create Office add-ins. I'm sorry, you can create uh, macros for Excel in the cloud. You can also check out Office add-ins We can create an Outlook add-in to to do to manage your tasks. You can create a PowerPoint add-in to, to display different things uh, from, you know, from your power parents, maybe even develop a template from, from just using JavaScript. So definitely check that out uh, as Office add-ins and Office scripts. Now, I also want to thank everyone who makes this show possible, especially to Leo and Lisa. They continue to support This Week in Enterprise Tech each and every week. We couldn't do the show without them. So thank you for all their support over, over the years. And of course, thank you to all the engineers and staff at Twit as well. I also want to thank Mr. Brian Chi one more time. He's not only our co-host, but he's also our tireless producer. He does all the show bookings. He deals with the PR agents. He does the plannings for the show. And we really couldn't do the show without him. So thank you, Chibert, for taking the brunt of a lot of that. Uh, so I appreciate all your support. And and, and thank you for, for doing years of that. And we look forward to to the new year as well. Now, before we sign out, I do want to thank uh, our editor for today, Mr. Victor B. He's behind the scenes. He's in our chat, but he's also going to be making us look good after the fact, cleaning up uh, all my mishaps and uh, pauses during the show. So thank you, Victor, for making us look good after the fact. And of course, the guy who makes us look good during the show is our TD for today, Mr. Ant Pruitt. He, uh, he showed a little bit of his uh, stuff there uh, as part of the, the wish list, but he also does a, fan- he does a fantastic show called Hands-On Photography. Ant, what's going on? On, uh, on hands-on photography this week.
4: Well, before I get to Hop, I actually want to make sure we give a shout out again to Mr. Victor, our awesome editor. Uh, he shared his wish list information with this little bit of a caption quote: "My workspace is by the kitchen, and we have a screaming toddler. So my wish list is for really nice noise canceling headphones like these, the Sony WH1000XM4. So." Yeah, shout out, I Mr. Victor. Uh, Thanks, know, Victor. We need to try to get you some of those, my man. I know that's quite a challenge.
0: Just don't, just don't use those for the mic, because I think people think that just because they're noise-canceling, they do awesome noise-canceling in the mic, and they don't. So just use them for... You, your ears noise canceling. Just for like the it. ears, just for the ears.
4: But on Hop this week, which he also edited, uh, I did a listener feedback show and walked through just uh, a couple emails and review of a uh, previous episode. It was a lot of fun, and as you can see on the screen, I was pretty casual this week. <laughs> I, I barely shaved and threw on a hat, but it was still a lot of fun, so... I'm sorry. Uh, I was just really, really casual.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Looking forward to that show as well. Thank you, Ann, And thanks for a great year. And until next time, I'm Louis Maresca, just reminding you, if you want to know what's going on in the enterprise, just keep quiet. Hey, you don't have to wait till the weekend to get the tech news you need. Join Jason Howell and myself, Micah Sargent, for Tech News Weekly, where we talk to and about the people making and breaking the tech news i